y'all. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Intersections. This episode is a conversation with Reverend Sarah Gomez-Lorraine. I met Sarah at the Women's March in Riverside, California, where Austin recruited her to give the opening blessing for the event. Um, As soon as I met her, I knew instantly that this was a person that I wanted to get to know. And I was really thankful that I got to finally meet her through Austin since he's been raving about her. Sarah and I met when I was interning as a social work therapist at the VA hospital, where Sarah is a hospital chaplain. One of the first things that struck me about Sarah was just how present she is with everyone she's around. She she really listens deeply with this empathy and this compassion and this interest, but not in a heavy way, like not in an exhausting way, but in a joyful way, which in my experience of Sarah is really how she lives her life and how she does her work as a chaplain. Without further ado, we'll jump right into the conversation and share a bit of our friend Sarah with you. So what you're about to hear is Sarah responding to the first question that we ask on this podcast, what intersections do you embody? Enjoy. The first things that come to mind are that I am a, um, I was raised Mormon. So I spent a good 25 years very active in the, in the LDS faith, um, including being a missionary for the church. And um, then as I came to grow into my own divinity and identity of being a gay woman, um, realized that that was no longer a place for me that was sustainable. Uh, so um, now, currently, I am also a veteran. Uh, I served in the United States Navy. Uh, for I've been associated with the Navy for about seven years. I've been enlisted and I've been officer, uh, as well as I have a beautiful wife uh, who serves in the Army, which I'm really proud of. And... Uh, Yeah, so I'm a Christian minister. I'm ordained in the independent charismatic tradition. Mm -hmm. I currently serve uh, as the pastor for a United Church of Christ uh, congregation in Southern California and also work uh, at the VA hospital as a chaplain with our veterans. Which is how we know each other. I am a social work um, therapist intern there. So Sarah and I are part of this group, HMH. The federal government loves its acronyms. So HMH stands for (laughs) um, Holistic Mental Health. And so we're part of this processing group that's a couple of social workers, of which I am one, two chaplains, two psychiatrists, two psychologists. And we get together every week, process our week, process the the patients that we've been seeing that week um, and hear feedback from the different disciplines around the table, which is really fascinating because we can often be kind of pigeonholed, especially as social workers. We spend time with other social workers. We end up being really like-minded. So it's really fascinating for me, at least, and I think probably for you too, Sarah. Oh, absolutely. So that's one of the things that we do is process those kinds of things. And then like today, we talked for an hour plus about death, about death anxiety, about dealing with death, about sitting with veterans who are veterans and and outside of the VA context too, um, folks that are dying as a person in the helping professions our experience of that. So it's, it's these really cool conversations we get to have. And I've come to really value your perspective, Sarah, in those conversations. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it was interesting today, even in HMH, as much as we all are in helping professions, how we view even that topic so very differently, which is why I think those mm. conversations in this particular mm. group has been set up. Um, we have uh, individuals who have backgrounds in, you know, going to med school and, there was honest conversation about how many of the medical professionals are death avoidant. Um, mm. cause that's just not there. That's like, that's not what they're working for. They're working to save life. Yeah. Um, versus a lot of times a chaplain coming in and saying, well, I'm not here to do that at all. Right. I'm here to help so that you die well or to live life to the fullest knowing that death is coming. Yeah. So we're hearing... all going to die. <laughs> it's going to be okay, everyone. I think the title of the, the on the board, right? It yep. was like, everyone's dying. Everyone's Everyone. dying is what the board <laughs> said. Right now, at this That's moment, right. we're dying. We're getting That's... closer to our death. So true. So true. So. Pete, Pete Holmes, do you know, have you heard of Mm-mm. Pete Holmes? He's a, he's a comedian and um, he has his own podcast called You Made It Weird. You Made It Weird. Okay. And he shares this story about how... 
um, he and his wife, they had, they just had a baby. Like one of the first things that, you know, they tell their baby, like, we're going to die one day. We won't be here. And it's just, <laughs> it, it embraces life in a different way. When you accept death, that that's just part of it. That is part of it. And that's, yeah, exactly. And it's interesting because I'm married. My wife is actually in the medical field. Um, and so she and I, even when we have these conversations, like we were talking about the importance of having these conversations about having an advanced directive or, you know, knowing your wishes and stuff. And I will just like on a random Tuesday come home and because of a patient encounter be like, just so you know, if I'm ever in that situation, <laughs> you know, like, please follow this procedure or like do yeah. this thing. This I want you to know that these are mine. And my wife's just like, that's fine. Moving on. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, but what would you like, sweetheart? Yeah, yeah. You know, and she's like, I'd like not to die. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. so it's not the panic that uh, that any a spouse might um, be thrown into in that conversation. But since she's in the medical field, just mm, okay. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I can go there. I just don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. I think she's also that way as being a pastor's wife, which is interesting. Yeah. That she's like, I mean, I can go there, but she has like absolutely no desire to be considered like a pastor's wife yeah. whatsoever. Um, cause so yeah. kind of similar. That's an interesting theme that's manifesting in our <laughs> marriage. <laughs> I want to dive a little deeper into your story and hear yeah. about um, your growing up LDS and and then walking away. Um, what was that like? What was what are some of the um, I guess the positives of growing up in a religious faith and your takeaways with that and I guess the also the struggle and grief that took place. I guess that's a lot of questions. Yeah. Share it with us. Yeah. Just. No, thank you for knowing that, though. And thank you for asking, especially in those particularities. Um, you know, it's an interesting intersection, if I might, that many have the privilege of being able to walk away from their faith, mm. as where many of us, it's not a choice we get exiled. Mm. Um, and so mm. um, this, so thank you for at least knowing that, the grief and whatnot. Mm. Um, I was raised in the church, um, the Mormon church. My parents converted. And I, I loved growing up in it. Uh, there's a lot of community. Mormons do community really, really well. And they have this structure of caring for one another that I absolutely embrace. Uh, and one of the things I loved, uh, which I actually had a hard time when I became Protestant, was they don't have paid clergy. So church structure is that it's the members that come together and they do like 15 minute talks every single Sunday. So we get to hear who it is that we're in community with, who our congregation is, mm. which is wow. great. And so even going into seminary, I was like, why are we not having our members talk more? Mm. Why are we not having that? Because it's a lot more like participatory Right. Like lay driven, lay person driven. Oh, it's absolutely lay driven. Mm -hmm. And so it didn't make the hierarchy of it just being somebody um, who every single week was getting up and speaking, um, which still to this day, I mean, I am a pastor of a Protestant church and that's boring to me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I, I gleaned a lot from that. I gleaned a lot. I, I grew up in a household that, um, had some adverse childhood experiences. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so it was, it was oftentimes masked through religion Mm. Um, and during those times that seemed absolutely unbearable and lonely and unto itself, you know, the family structure within the LDS tradition is vital. It, it, that's why we're here is that proclamation to the family, that family unit. So, um, when that was experienced within my own family unit, that's when I turned to God. And so for me at a very young age, God was always there. Mm. Um, and I came to understand this, uh, this male God, uh, if I'm honest, and that's still within the LDS tradition, how God is referred to. But I was always hoping and looking at God as being very, very present. And Jesus is like an older brother was very comforting to me. Um, taking communion. I, I started like reading the hymns. And when I would sing those uh, at a young age, I would really look into those hymns and those hymns were like the petitions of my heart. Those were the mm -hmm. secret prayers that I could never actually ask out loud, mm -hmm. um, for fear that someone might know what was happening behind closed doors, but I could go to church and I could be in community and I could, I could do that. So there was a lot of love and warmth there 
that also said, there's, I, I'm at a point now too where I can reflect back and, and also understand that the leadership of the church is doing the best they can, but there was not education that was needed in order to create safe church mm. as well. Um, it's predominantly patriarchal, and I found that to be very true. I held a lot of the leadership positions for women, um, but even then it was a cap and mm. women could kind of only do those. And their understanding is that women don't have to, men have to, like, are, this is what a man's set to do, and this is what a woman's set to do, and whatnot. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of grew up in that context. When I got to be a little bit older, I was encouraged to go serve a mission for the Mormon church. And as I did that, you know, you submit. I was very reluctant. I learned you don't make ultimatums with God uh, during that process. And you submit your paperwork to Salt Lake, and they decide where it is that you go. I, I, we don't have any say in that. And so I was hoping that I would go to Greece and I would learn this foreign language or, you know, and whatnot. And they sent me to Provo, Utah. <laughs> <laughs> just down the road. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, I was in Alaska. I'm from Alaska originally. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Just down the road from um, Mormon Mecca. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely oh, right. Geez. And I was like, what? Why would they do this? Um, but what I found during that time, it, which has lent itself to my ministry today, is that it was so, so wonderful. I got to see firsthand how church leadership functions. I got to see what church leadership looks like behind closed doors. Mm. I get to experience church leaders at that point that have the best of intentions and sometimes just don't understand how they're um, how they're affecting people when they're doing something. Again, probably because of lack of education. Mm. So, and at the same time, most of my work, instead of it being about baptizing, which is really common there, was about dealing or, or going into the homes of so many who identify as LDS and who felt like they had done something or experienced so much shame and guilt mm. that they could never cross the threshold again of the church. Mm. So they call it reactivation. Um, but I found time and time again, I was in the homes of those who were on drugs, who were dealing with addiction, who had um, committed a, you know, a sexual sin by the church's understanding at a young age. And how could I possibly go back into the church for that? And so to be present at a young age, knowing that mm. I didn't have sufficient answers, but at least mm. I could be there. Mm. Um, and stand with that, I really took that resonated for me. Mm. Mm. Sorry. When I came back, but ministry was never on my radar to do at all. Um, so I went to, uh, I was studying theater at the time. I went to NYU. I got accepted to Tisch School of the Arts. And it was, and I had had these inclinations of like, I think, I think I might be gay. I think mm. that might be something that's going on um, prior to my mission. But I was really of the belief that like, if I just hunkered down, mm. if I just prayed more and gave everything I had mm. and the Mormon culture, at least in my mission field and in the church is really big about like, it's not necessarily by grace that you're saved. It is by the works that you do that you're saved. So that was like a perfect model to feed into this idea that if I just worked harder, mm. I wouldn't be gay anymore. Mm. So I just, I worked and worked and worked and claimed everything under the guise of God. And that uh, if I was working all the time and serving the church, then I would have no need to meet anybody that I would mm -hmm. ever be attracted to. And so therein was my, my grace, you know, therein was my salvation. Mm. And it just didn't work out that way. I ended up falling in love um, mm. with someone that I went to college with and, Man, when that when that happened, it was the most love I had received from somebody at that point. Mm. Um, and that's undeniable. Mm. And uh, so during that time. And the most, I imagine, like love for you as you saw yourself. I, I, I'm trying to figure out how to say this better. Like you experienced love growing up in this church, but only for a part of you, the part of you that was like, Oh, very except, conditional. Yeah. Con mm -hmm. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Very, very conditional, but it was, it was proclaimed that it was unconditional love. Mm -hmm. right. Um, 
which is something, a question that I love to pose to like modern day churches. Because that's the right answer. That's the box to check. Right. Is your love conditional? Or unco- oh, it's it's unconditional. Unconditional <laughs> love, right? And even then, like, what do you do with somebody who's queer or gay or anything? Mm-hmm. Well, we love them, but how do you understand love? Unconditionally, as long as they change. Yeah. Right, exactly. Right. Under the conditions that. <laughs> right, so that understanding of what conditional and unconditional, yeah. Mm. Does that meme? I don't think you that means what you think it means. Um, mm-hmm. Comes to mind. So when I finally came out, and it was actually, it was pretty lonely. I was at theater school, so I was surrounded by a whole bunch of people who were gay, and Mm -hmm. and that wasn't the hard part coming out. The hard part for them, or for me, in that environment was the fact that nobody had a deep faith, Mm. and I had a deep faith, and so it felt very isolating that Mm. here I was around so many people who were LGBT and affirming and great, um, and at the church, um, I had gone and we had to do these things of like repenting. So you have to go to the bishop and whatnot. And, and it was during that, that I just, I thought, no, I'm not like, I, I, I went down that path. I, I went to a bishop about three different bishops, actually different times trying to reconcile what this looked like. And most of the time I, two of them, I will say, were like, well, you know, get back in the game and uh, we've got, you know, you're in leadership here and you need to set the example. And so, um, do what you need to do and pray and go to the temple and whatnot. I did have one who was very compassionate and he said, I, I can imagine this is a struggle. You know where we stand on this. Um, but that was the most compassionate. Mm. But I eventually got to a point where I didn't, it wasn't an option anymore. Mm. So those who, like I was talking about a little bit earlier, um, those who have the privilege of saying this theology doesn't work for me right. is one thing being told there is no place for you here Mm. is a very different Mm. message Mm. and it's an exiling. Mm. Um, and oftentimes in seminary I've thought like, where do the spiritual refugees go Mm -hmm. who have to flee their homeland, who know a language. And now we have to go into another place, um, whether it be a different community of faith or whatnot. And Mm -hmm. we have to learn their language. And like so many that come to our country who are learning English and oftentimes perceived as not being as intelligent because we don't take in consideration that they are learning a second language. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like are often that that's not taking consideration for many who are in that exile or choosing to go into a different faith tradition. It's not, uh, you know, when I, I came into the Protestant world, somebody asked me, I was in a board, um, uh, look, like we have these boards that kind of approve people if you're going to seek ordination and whatnot. And somebody said, well, you know, you're Mormon and we're Christian. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like Mormons are Christians. Mm-hmm. They, I, I, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's been part of my theology. Absolutely. Right. Um, but I thought, well, this is interesting because it goes on both sides, but, uh, yeah, it was heartbreaking. It was mm-hmm. absolutely, I, uh, don't mean to sound dramatic with this, but the, the closest thing I've ever ex- seen or experienced in my own way was when I watched, I mean, I clearly wasn't there, but watching the World Trade Towers fall. Mm. That absolute disbelief Mm -hmm. because everything crumbled. Mm -hmm. My idea of God crumbled um, and not just crumbled, but was like decimated and destroyed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I was, I was ostracized by my family. Mm. Um, I didn't have a faith community that I could turn to. And it was at that point that in that season that I turned agnostic Mm. because I was angry. Mm. I was really angry, wondering where God Mm. could be in all of that. Um, Mm. This God that was supposed to love me unconditionally and Mm. this God who was supposed to be there. And if I'm made in God's image, then why the hell was I born gay? Mm. Uh, Because, man, I tried dating. I tried dating, (laughs) fellas. And I was just like, I wish you well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, One thing that I I think would be cool to explore more with you. um, How did you handle the grief? Mm. Where did you turn? Where did you go in your time of even doubt with God? Where did you go from there? Right. So, and, and probably the shortest, succinct answer is I dove headlong into codependency Mm. (laughs) in my relationship. Um, so I was in that relationship. I was the one who was really reconciling my faith and trying to figure that out. Um, so I dove into work. I dove into, um, 
Yeah, really into my relationship, which ultimately, I mean, we didn't we didn't make it. Uh, I learned so very much, mm-hmm. but I was seeking love, and we've talked too a little bit in HMH too about learning how to put on that armor. And so I really put on that armor, uh, and not the armor of God. It was the armor from God. Mm. It was the armor from anyone who wanted to talk to me or convert me or to do anything. And I remember thinking, like, you have no idea. And then that was in twofold. Like, you have no idea what it is that I've done already that I can't come back from. Mm. And you also have no idea what it is that I'm going through right now. Um, And who are you to say? Like, you don't have to carry it at the time. You don't have to carry the burden of being gay. Um, Mm. You get the privilege of just saying like I fit in here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. and I get to love and I get to love you and I get to love them and I get to love everybody um my love not only is con- it's received conditionally it's also has to be conditional in order to be Christian or to go to a faith tradition so I mean I still went to like the Mormon church just a couple of times I think during that time frame um but as far as like a, what was interesting was during that time, I ended up going to China. I lived in China for a year uh, for work and I was in this predominant Buddhist culture. Mm. And so there was something there for me that I was like, well, maybe I'm not Christian. Maybe I'm Buddhist. You know, it's in front of me. And maybe if there is a God and God's still working, then, uh, you know, maybe maybe there's something I'm supposed to glean here. And in fact, I did learn a lot from the beautiful Buddhist tradition and culture um, that I experienced in China, but ultimately came to understand like these were practices that I, I cherish and I value. And yeah, I, I just, I felt God calling me back. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So Going through that, I've often think that there's this place, this vac, this hole right now within this whole idea of big C church, which is what do we do with those who are needing a funeral or a ritual or some place where they can talk about this integration as to what their faith tradition was prior to where they're at currently. Mm. There are some individuals who've been able to be one faith tradition their entire life, but more and more that's not the the truth of most individuals. And yet it's as if you cross the threshold into this church. Now this is how we do it. Mm -hmm. This is what we're going to do. And so like, you're welcome to come and join us. Um, but there's no, there doesn't seem to be any room that I've been able to experience of, is there a support group for this loss, this Mm. grief of religion Mm. or this understanding or this home, this family, this culture, this tribe we were talking about that you have come to know a world and to make meaning of. And when you, even theologically, someplace doesn't line up anymore there's no place to actually have that processing um, unless it's like with a chaplain. I think it's one of the reasons I really like chaplaincy. Yeah. Um, we kind of are in this area in which we go to people mm-hmm. um, instead of making them conform. Right. The most important right. faith tradition in that room is theirs mm-hmm. um, and their journey and what mm-hmm. they're going through. Uh, yeah. So I, I wish we had something that was more uh, of a place for that just as, we have these sanctuary churches. I wish that took on, in a way, the meaning that it implies of mm-hmm. being a safe place for many to come and that also extending to many who are fleeing their right. homeland of religion or faith tradition. Yeah. Yeah, for safety. I um, So I'd, I'd be really interested in... So for Linda and I, the past like week and a half, we've been processing um, conversations that have been coming up connected to um something going on at her work some of the conversation she spoke you heard her sermon sarah oh i sure did and a big old amen (laughs) amen linda yes toxic masculinity yeah and the day before uh, i will why don't you do would you be willing linda to (laughs) talk okay so we had a student who shared her experience and her story about being queer. And 
owning that identity in the church. And all week we've been, we were making sure that we gave our most vulnerable amongst us a voice and a platform. And she shared about, you know, how she's just seeking to be fully seen, fully embraced as, as queer and as, energetic and as loving and like her 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 main takeaway was just value and see me fully you know I don't think she was making a theological statement um but afterwards Uh (laughs) yes the emails started to come local local pastors uh started to come and also share their perspective and you know, so there was a, a, a real reaction to the things that she was sharing. And um, some of what the high school chaplain and some of the, our other leaders on campus, what we're wrestling with was how can we say we're a safe and affirming and accepting community? And as soon as one of ours shares deeply and vulnerably um, her from her heart, mm-hmm. we react in a way that says no. Right. You know, like I, I think we are, that's one of the most dangerous things we can do for anyone to say, Hey, come, come on in. We'll, we'll, you know, hang out with you. We're a great community. And then say, but yeah, the whole idea of conditions, the bait and switch. Yep. Yeah. 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 The trauma that that creates for individuals who walk through our doors and then are pushed right back out. Oh, absolutely. Um, and Bravo to that student who was able to get up and and say her truth. Absolutely. Um, I can imagine the courage that that took. Yeah. And so Linda referenced emails coming in and you might assume that, uh, you know, it was an onslaught of parents up in arms, but actually I think, I mean, you were surprised to hear about all the positive. Mm, That's um, true. Yeah. Like the outpouring of like affirmation for creating that space and the student receiving an email from a prominent um, community member offering full support who nobody uh, like Linda didn't expect this person mm-hmm. holding this position in the community to reach out and say, whatever you need, I've got you, you are loved. And I, like, I'm, I'm your, I'm, I'm right by your side, like on the letterhead of his establishment. Wow. Um, yeah. In like a really affirming and powerful way. And it made me think of you, Sarah, because I like you, this kid is growing up in a, in a new generation, um, and hopefully will not have to armor herself in the same way Mm. that previous generations have. And I know, like, I can only imagine you are such a, you're a radiant person that is just like, you're, you're open and you give, you give of yourself freely to whoever you're engaging with. And at the same time, I can't imagine, well, I know (laughs) from hearing your story that you, you haven't made it this far without growing really thick skin and developing the ability to, even in the face of, um, people cursing you, you continue to bless them. Mm. And thank you for that. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a really beautiful, like strength that you have. And it's also really beautiful that there's the potential that a new generation of queer kids won't have to develop that same strength. Mm. Amen to mm. that. And yes. I mean, we can we can hope that can be that can be our prayer. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and many who come before me who were never able to get married. I mean, the the the, the gratitude just keeps going back. That's my hope. We mm-hmm. keep giving gratitude to those who came before. There mm. were many, many who came before who don't get to experience what I got to experience. Um, and I hope that moving forward, the generation that's coming, you know, it's that pride is not a time just solely about wearing rainbows and tutus and whatnot. Mm. That's part of it and that's fine. But you act like somebody who comes into or um, is part of the LGBTQ community, you have a heritage, mm. you have a lineage. Yeah. Mm. Um, of many who came before, mm. um, and taking that time to just pass that back. Yeah. Mm. Um, and you know, you're, you're saying something, uh, some really great thoughts, uh, Linda, what you had mentioned about this affirming, there's a big, big difference between, in my opinion, between welcoming and affirming. Mm. Those are two words that sometimes get synonymous and they are two different words. Mm. 
So welcoming someone makes, you know, you can come sit in our pew, you can come sit here mm-hmm. and whatnot, mm-hmm. but to actually affirm someone right. in where they're at, that's a very different right. um, understanding and interaction and intentionality. And so that's something that I, I try to lean into yeah. is saying, like, how can we affirm yeah. your yeah. divinity? Yeah. Uh, and that's still a practice for me. Yeah. But she wanting to be seen, right. validated and valued and, you know, as a community that I'm so glad to hear of that outpouring. Yeah. And I also know that there are those who are going to have a very hard time yeah. with that. And I heard I so I was in seminary. Uh, if I can share a quick story. I was in seminary and my wife and I had a really bad experience at a church that we attended that was supposed to be welcoming for us. Um, we were, my wife was stationed in the deep South. So <laughs> yeah, wow. right. Yeah. Alabama, Georgia border. Um, and so we attended this church and I just didn't agree with what was being preached at this church. So, um, I kind of had an out of body experience before I knew what I was up and already walking out before my brain caught up mm. and I was like, Oh, okay. Um, this woman followed us out and in my mind's eye, she was coming to us and she was saying, you know, like, hey, I saw you guys were here and we just want to, I just want to see how you guys are doing and are you okay and whatnot. And that was not what she was meeting us with. And in fact, went on to talk to us about our, the sinfulness of being present when there are children and, oh. um, mm. and such and all of that. And so I realized that I struggled so much with that interaction in a church parking lot where my wife is crying at this mm. point. I'm in seminary, and here is this woman just berating us. Um, and I think her major issue was that I put my arm around my wife. God forbid we have an appropriate amount of affection. Christian um, side hug. Right? Exactly. Christian side <laughs> hug. That's all it was, but because we're gay. Uh, ah! And so um, so when I wrestled with this, I, I came across a quote from Scott Cormode, who is a change theorist out of uh, Fuller. And I'm paraphrasing here, but he essentially said something along the lines of people are not scared to change. People are scared to lose. Mm. So whenever they're given an option, you can go with this cellular provider or you can go with this cellular provider, no matter who it is that they have, whoever's going to give them the better deal so that they lose less money, that's who they're going to go with. Mm-hmm. So that concept, um, I started started looking at things differently. Um, and so I realized that the tension that I was getting met with or the community was getting met with, I thought, my goodness, if I could step back, get out of my own way and actually ask myself, what do they stand to lose? So mm. if they're not scared to change, but they're mm. scared to lose, mm. what do they, what are they going to lose? Mm-hmm. And oh my goodness, I, I grew in compassion so much. And I want to be clear that it's not an excusing mm. of, of, um, dehumanizing someone who's LGBT as right. much as much as I tried to really just say, oh my goodness, with what you've constructed of God, mm-hmm. how you've constructed your church, how you've constructed your theology and mm-hmm. all of that, if you, if there was mm-hmm. even room to accept me and my wife, because oftentimes the church doesn't, they'll, they'll use this guise of like, we don't have a problem with somebody being gay. It's the married part. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the caveat, you know, but we believe biblically that marriage is between a man and a woman. So what do you stand to lose? Well, if what they've heard their entire life and now they see somebody or a couple who is loving and treating each other with respect, who are both service members for our country, who one is training to be a pastor unto itself. And that goes so very countercultural to these messages that have been taught um, over years and time that mm-hmm. somebody who's gay is never happy. And the reason why they're never happy is because they're gay. And, and isn't it, a full person. And isn't a full person or they have a mental illness, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so... If that goes so countercultural, they stand to lose their entire identity of what God is. Mm. Um, everything that they've built their foundation upon within their own life. Mm. And in, in a sense, they would have possibly their own 9-11 experience mm. of watching everything crumble that they've built. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing what I went through, I wouldn't want that for somebody else. Um so that idea, I always try to come in saying, what is, what is the loss here? What are you scared to lose by accepting who I am? Does that, 
some people, thank God, I think our culture is a little bit more open to saying, no, there's room for both. But there's still so very many in the religious world, in the Christian world, who stand to lose. They've Pastors have built an entire foundation upon their teachings. Right. And so now if they change their mind, what do they stand to lose? Are they called a hypocrite? Will they lose their congregation? That congregation is how they pay for their children to eat right. and to be right. able to go to school and whatnot. Sarah, you're yeah. turning the other cheek and... <laughs> I don't know how I feel about it. Like this. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> You're fair. practicing compassion for <laughs> like that's empathy. You're talking about empathy and empathy in the face of like from folks who would agree that turning the other cheek or offering empathy and compassion is a, a quote unquote Christ-like attribute or characteristic. Mm-hmm. You're not receiving compassion or empathy and instead you're instead of responding in kind, you are extending compassion and empathy and that's just frying my brain a little bit. Well, and for me, it's actually selfish um, to do that because for me, I live life better when I can have empathy, when I can have compassion. Mm -hmm. I am very clear about not excusing behaviors that are offensive or dehumanizing Mm -hmm. and such. Um, However, I don't want to go around angry all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't want to live in a world where I think that everyone is opposed to me. Um, And it's so easy when my wife is crying beside me to take that so very personally. But I I don't want to carry that around. Mm. Um, So that was a lens for me to be able to say, all right, I can stand in my own two shoes. Mm -hmm. I get to take up the space that Mm -hmm. God granted me within my physical being. And, oh, my gosh, I see that you're scared. Mm -hmm. Let me help you to not be so Mm -hmm. scared of the unknown if this is the first time you're meeting somebody who's gay or mm-hmm. LGBT. And so how do you do that? How do you help ease that, f- the fear that they are acting from, if right. that is a goal? Absolutely. Well, like the student you were talking about, Linda, um, more than likely this student has friends, right? Right. In, in, in your school. Um, and so when this person gets up and speaks their truth, it's no longer this intellectual concept or this theological abstract. It is now it's human. Right. This is, this is someone that I care about. This Mm -hmm. is somebody I love. Um, so for me, a lot of my work, and that's why I think it was so very probably powerful for the student to be able to speak that truth in a way that I would not be as well received Mm -hmm. or I would be as fully received Mm -hmm. as they were, um, in, in that environment. So for me, I just always try to, it's a, constant you know you know i love me some brene brown yes yes auntie brene i call her auntie brene i call her saint brene i'm not catholic (laughs) but that's what we call her saint brene um i think i quote her in probably a sermon at least once a month but she says that authenticity is encouraged as a practice and so it's me saying i see that you're scared how do i still show up fully Mm -hmm. who i am and to help negate so that I now become human to you, mm-hmm. not something to be fearful mm-hmm. of. Um, not necessarily, I mean, in an ideal world, yes, I would love for everyone to be like, oh, it's so blase, you know, and, but to say like, oh, I'm a human being. And I talk about my wife in the same way that you talk about your wife. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of commonalities um, or, you know, this thing that you're, you're, you're talking about your church community. I'm talking about my church community. Mm-hmm. Making these intersections, hmm. these, uh, of, of just relatability. Yeah. Um, but it, it, I will say it does get tiring at times to constantly be the person who's mm. there saying like, how do I help you not fear, be fearful? Mm. And I also am aware that I'm a white person in this world and I am not the only one who has to carry that with me mm. everywhere of saying, how do I make sure that you're not fearful of, of who mm. I am? Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, you, I mean, I think when we think of, you know, vulnerable groups in our society, they do carry the emotional labor mm-hmm. of having to take care of the person who is afraid of the person who is berating others or othering, you know, using discriminatory language. Um, something that, that I, as, as you were talking about how you've, you meet people with compassion, I think it really is about, what the person is struggling with mm-hmm. versus them attacking you on a personal level. It's really a reflection of what's going on with them oh, internally. Absolutely. 
and to be able, I think, yeah, you have those, the chaplain skills to say, I'm going to sit with you in this because you're, something's happening inside <laughs> of you, you know, right. let me lay hands on you. Really, it's, it, that's what's happening. And I think I, I sat uh, today in a meeting with parents and I looked at them and as I was listening to them, I, I had that thought and like, oh, this is not about LGBTQ individuals this is about something that you're struggling with as a parent, Mm -hmm. your fear of your child walking away, you know? And I felt that I felt it in the room. I looked at them and I was like, these are scared parents. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, even adding on to that, there's so many scared Christians. Mm. So this idea of like, well, what do you mean you can just love everybody? Right. So for me, <laughs> theologically, I'm like, yes, yes, that's right, how God exactly. works. Yeah. Yeah, like, how do I, <laughs> how, how then am I in the in group? Like there's no in group. Right. Or there's no, then right what makes wrong. me special? All these things that I want. If everybody's to do, special. Then... Right. Exactly. The scarcity mentality of mm. God. Um, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. yeah um, so there's only so much that God has. Mm. Um, and I, I just don't believe that. So uh, uh, this idea too, that there's so many faith traditions or Christian traditions. And I, I was raised in one of them that had a lot of set boundaries, set rules. Mm-hmm. We don't do this. We don't do this. We don't do this. We don't do this. And when that goes against what somebody's done and they feel like they're depriving themselves, but they can claim it in the name of God, right? Then it's somehow it's worth it. But ultimately, so like if those rules are shattered and somebody else goes, but wait a minute, that's not fair, right? Like you get to do whatever it is that you want to do, but I'm over here having to sacrifice and I'm having to give up so many things. And I just, I feel like I'm over here eating a Sunday and being like, who asked you to sacrifice yeah. that? Yeah, who exactly. told you you had to live yeah. a subpar Right, life. right. I mean, John tells us life abundant. But That's right. Wait, my, if my piety isn't earning me a VIP pass, yeah. what has this all been about? That's right. No. What has this all been about? Mm. It's, um, it, it goes back to um, securing our salvation. Oh, right. Right? Like we are so worried about the ones that will have the ticket to go to heaven. Richard Rohr, Richard Rohr said oh, this in yes. a conversation. And um, I thought it was brilliant that we are. We are so fixated on our own salvation that we will do anything to protect it. And our own rightness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're, I think you're spot on with that. And this, this idea of being right, that feels good. Mm-hmm. Right. I think mm-hmm. we actually get like a dopamine hit when we're like, <laughs> I am right about no, this. Totally. That's science. That's science. <laughs> right. So if I have the right answer, instead of understanding that God is beyond anyone's human capability to fully understand or this totality of God, that's not as rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. with that dopamine hit, that being right, that securing, that certainty, I guess, mm-hmm. what it boils down to. I have my certainty with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just, I don't think God lives in that. Yeah. I don't think God operates in that, yeah. in that realm of certainty. But I also understand, like, if that's lost, then what? Then what? Mm-hmm. And so it is, it's such an inner reflection. I've had um, so many people say, uh, you know, judgment things about, um, being gay or like my wife and whatnot. I think one of the most recent ones was like, do you have to be so bold about it? Mm. And I was like, wow, that's how you receive me. I, I hope that I'm just showing up present, but I honestly think that I'm the first person that you've talked to that's gay. So in that context, I bet this does come across as bold, Mm. but yeah, I wonder if you ask them to list the ways in which you're both, well, you're just wearing your wedding ring everywhere you go. And (laughs) right. And that rainbow that you're wearing, I mean, that's just, what is that? Inclusivity, right? (laughs) (laughs) Letting people know you're safe and non-judgmental. Right. Right. And especially as a a Christian leader, that's important to have those visualizations. Um, So I, I'm, I'm very aware at this point in my stage of ministry that I am not going to be able to fix this huge thing uh, within the church, this dynamic of prejudice mm-hmm. and scared and mm-hmm. um, and whatnot. But what I can do is show up. Yeah, and I can sit at the table. And right. it sounds like you're doing the same thing, Linda. Yeah, I, that's the that's the way that I describe this line of work. I you know I as parents talk to me about this topic like we need to make these statements, and I'm like, no, we don't. We need to be open, and we need to tell our kids come and we're safe. And um, I told them I was like, I'm not here to manage sin no i'm here i'm here to show up i'm here to build relationship trusting relationship 
Um, and I think if we, if the church begins to head that way, they will have way more engaged young people, um, youth who are excited to be part of these communities Mm -hmm. because I mean, growing up, I stepped away as well because I saw the hypocrisy in in it all, you know? Yes. And in fact, I would say, you know what, there's so many that say our modern day church, there were all these spiritual non-religious, you know, and they're unchurched and we're, we're losing them and whatnot. They, what do they know? But I think that's, I think you're exactly what you're talking about. They're seeing the hypocrisy Mm -hmm. and culturally, especially in this area, we're culturally and societally, we're ahead of the church. Mm -hmm. Um, and so Mm -hmm. to look in and to say like, that makes no sense. How, how is it that certain people are okay? I mean, not more than the sixties and seventies, we had the civil rights era in which the Bible was used to promote the Mm -hmm. separation of races. Um, and so they're able to reflect upon that. There was, I was just talking with one of my colleagues today about how Galileo was put to death because he proposed the idea that the earth was not the center of the universe Mm. because of the prayer of Joshua, Mm. you know, and it took the Catholic church until the early 1900s to write a formal like we were wrong whoops sorry galileo and right his family galileo long gone murdered by that point you know and such so i, I think this is one of those topics that i i hear this dis-ease with it and yet society it's not yet fully where i would like it to be but it's ahead of the church For sure mm-hmm. yeah i i want to thank you on a on a different note and i i fully affirm what you're saying and yeah like we we do show up and lay the groundwork for future generations right Right. on a on a different note i want to thank you for opening my for showing me in a gentle way um my own privilege i don't you, you may not have been intending to do this you were just talking from your own experience but even just in this conversation about yeah my my own complicated um relationship with my faith tradition, the tradition I grew up in Adventism, um, and my, like my struggle with how do I identify? Do I identify as Adventist? Do I just do it when it's convenient for me? Um, and there's privilege there that I inhabit because I have the ability to, to do it when it's convenient to me and not identify as Adventist when it's not convenient to me or when I don't want to. Mm. Um, and that, yeah, I've never thought of that as a privilege until now. Mm. Um, and uh, a couple weeks back, a conversation we were having. Oh, as you were, as you're like mulling over. Okay, I'm doing a. I'm I'm working at the VA during the week and then pastoring on the weekend. I was I was going to school full time and internship um, full time and uh, and pastoring on the weekends up until February, and then I stopped pastoring. So I was like, man, I've never. I haven't had weekends. Um, except for a couple of months oh, um, for, in the last 10 years. Yeah. And so stopping pastoring was like, oh, like just, oh my word, this is a weekend. This is what people experience. <laughs> and so while you were talking about like, man, I, I'm, I'm working a lot. Is this sustainable? And I, I shared my experience like, man, Sarah, if you can get your weekends back, it's a life changer. <laughs> and, I, you know, uh, with the best intentions, like I'm, I, I'm, I care for you, Sarah. Why don't you take care of Sarah and get your weekends back? And you shared with me in a very, like, not in a, a judgmental way or not in a, not in a, well, I'm going to teach you something, privileged white That's boy. coming next week. Okay, <laughs> okay. I will wait for it. But but up until now, my experience of you is very gentle um, and affirming. Uh, but you shared that as as a gay female minister, you are conscious of of the need to pad your resume as much as you can because you know you don't have the luxury of just like mm, I'm working a lot and I'd I'd rather not be working three jobs right now. Right. Um, I I was I was working three jobs and I just decided I didn't want to and I had the luxury to do so and it's it's not gonna I don't think it's gonna adversely affect me down the road, but you. I didn't recognize that as a privilege and you opened my eyes to the fact like, oh yeah, like you're having to think several steps ahead. Um, Yeah. I don't know if I communicated that very clearly, but I want to, I want to thank you for opening my eyes to helping me weed the garden of my mind. Yes. Well, and I, 
Thank you for that. But I, I think that most women in any profession would say the same thing. Mm-hmm. They're usually uh, that, that saying, I don't, I don't know, Linda, maybe you've heard this one too, about like a woman has to work twice as hard mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to be considered. And, yeah. and so, and I do, and it's, that's, that's been a challenge for me too, because I see um, like, Austin, I've so enjoyed my interactions with you. Um, so I hope this isn't taken personally. I'm going to speak in a general term here, but yeah, coming out of seminary and whatnot and um, looking for ministry opportunities and I'll be darned if you are a straight guy and they're like, I think I might have a call to ministry. They're like, here, let me unlock this door. Please come on over here. Here's your regulation stool that you sit on. And, you know, like, just give it a try. See if you like it. And if you like it, then we'll give you a position. Mm. Um, As where, and with that also comes being straight, you have a lot more options of Mm. where you can be church leadership. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Being gay or LGBT, again, it's kind of like that bait and switch we were talking about. So many churches lead with the like, well, everyone's welcome. We we welcome everybody and we love everyone. The caveat is that you cannot be in leadership, Mm -hmm. which means that you are not fully human in our congregation. You are not fully divine in our congregation. But unfortunately, so when someone says everybody's welcome, that tells me that that's making... those with privilege feel comfortable. Mm. That's not with the intentionality of actually being present and aware of those who are marginalized within the church. Mm. Being a woman in ministry, being a gay woman in ministry, it it is, it's, I'm looking forward to the day that I don't have to hustle, but mm. it is padding the resume mm. of saying, because it is with those credentialings, with that experience of someone saying, oh, oh, this is maybe something we should pay attention. Maybe we should pay attention to her. Maybe she might have something. Because the doors aren't unlocked um, Mm. as easily, I would say. I have definitely, uh, that said, I have definitely had those who've come into my path who have said, come, we value you here. Please come here. Uh, so I'm very, very appreciative. But those those areas, the denominations in which we can even serve is mm. very limited compared to others. Um, and then even seeing what that looks like. So, yeah, it is. It's this this whole business of church. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what God must think. Oh, man. <laughs> I will yeah. say, though, I think it's I mean, we we got to see your church community last week and I I see the tide turning in a really positive way although it's slow I do see highlights or or lights in different areas and different places that there are congregations that are affirming absolutely and working on really embracing and and fully um, inviting those to be in leadership and so that that there are churches out there, which is just few and far between, mm-hmm. but there are there are those communities. They are, and a lot of them are mainline Protestant that um, have opened. I mean, my seminary, my gosh, I went to seminary in Boston, and I couldn't have asked for a better place to go to seminary. I was right across the street from a rabbinical school, so mm. oftentimes our classes were half pastors in training and half rabbis, and so we got to have those beautiful conversations. I went to school and had m- my own knowledge of LGBT grow as I was with students who were transgender mm. and hearing um, what their experience is like, and so I'll even say that, that, you know, I'm gay, and, and I would dare say even our trans gender brothers and sisters and all who identify in between that as well they oh man they're they're having a really struggle Mm -hmm. as well but i do think that there will be a change of tide um just like we have seen perpetually throughout history where those who have been on the margins do come in and all of a sudden that's the voice that want to hear Mm -hmm. that liberation i think Mm -hmm. liberation theology still Mm -hmm. resonates uh greatly i just I, i think right now it's not yet been seen through the lens or the hermeneutic of this being a liberation theology movement right, right. Um, as much as helping the poor mm. and um, feeding the hungry, mm-hmm. helping children and all those things in women's rights. Those are also important, um, but also yeah. with LGBT. So I, 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 my education in seminary was so, I, I, there was so much, I, I love a, a friend of mine says there's too many flowers in God's garden for me mm. to just say that God would only plant one. Mm, uh, that's beautiful. Yes. And so I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. this is my variety yeah. uh, that God gave me. And there's so many others that have just beautiful yeah. colors in this world. 
Yeah. And, you know, I, as much as I, I can talk about challenges that I've experienced, I'm also very aware that I'm a white person in society who mm. is constantly trying to awaken. I don't think I'll ever be fully woke because I am a white person in society. Mm. But I, I make an intentional effort to continuously try to learn or try to. And there's such a, a vast, because I'm not the only one who experiences the challenges, but those rich voices that come in, especially through a lived experience. This, uh, I don't know that there's anything more powerful than someone speaking to their lived experience. Mm. That's what gets mm-hmm. me in. Mm-hmm. Um, and when someone can speak that and share that, it's incredibly powerful. So I more and more want to hear womenist theology mm. as well as feminist theology. Um, I'll, I'll admit these days it's kind of rare for me to actually be excited to hear an old white guy talk about God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if I can be honest. Believe it or not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but these these beautiful concepts and you know i will i will also say i have these everyday prophetic voices as well from even patients that i get to encounter to my Mm. own congregants um i was the commencement speaker for my graduation class at seminary that's awesome oh thanks um but my my message was entitled shut up and listen (laughs) that i was like all right we now have this degree called masters in divinity which nobody ever masters divinity um isn't that ridiculous i yeah i have my mdiv too and i'm like always every time embarrassed when they ask when people ask what masters do you have Uh, right exactly nobody can master the divine Uh, but what it has taught me is to uh, how to formulate some questions how to study for a lifelong learning Mm. um, and also understand that that's a credentialing that will allow me to pursue um, ministry at a certain way that I'd like to, but under no circumstance. And I think this roots back again to being raised Mormon under no circumstances, that degree um, outweigh somebody's lived experience. Mm. Um, I think Mm. it gives a a permission giving and a trusting and an ethic of being a teacher, um, helping understand scripture, helping with formulate messages in church and such. Um, but my goodness, I hear these prophetic voices. I'm the children. We were talking about that. Uh, The children in our congregation. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah. Hearing them. And there are times that I, I'm like, wow, wow, Mm -hmm. you are six Mm -hmm. and you're thinking this and what you're doing by lifting up that question is that you're giving permission for all these adults who are too embarrassed to ask that question, Mm -hmm. but they're thinking it. But you at six, you're, you're already thinking theologically and that's, that's fascinating. I don't necessarily that I have an answer to your profound question to six year old, um, or how, however old they are. We, we want to be sensitive of your time. Is there anything you'd like to, to say in wrapping up? If not, we will say our blessing over you. I think the only thing, especially if somebody's listening right now. So if you are LGBT or you're questioning, I just, please hear a voice that says that you are beloved and mm. that you are absolutely made in this divine image of God who is far beyond gender, mm. but is absolutely the totality of love, of greater love than anything I could think of or experience in this world. So know that there is nothing wrong, that you are beautiful, you are wonderfully made. And for those who are challenged um, with someone who is loved and uh, that you love, who is in a questioning phase or identifies as LGBT, that fear, I think, is very human. So mm. please allow yourself the grace to, to feel that. And out of love, move position to get curious. Mm. Um, to get curious as to what it's bringing up for you, please, as well as if you literally cannot go there with someone, refer them. Please send them to somebody who is a pastor, who is open and affirming. Send them to a community leader who will validate. If that's not where you're at just yet, please make sure, first and foremost, that 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 precious soul of somebody who is LGBT and, and trying to figure out what that means for them and in a new community and such, get them where they're safe. Mm. That's, that's the one thing that I beg, please. Mm. Um, make sure that they're safe. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. And I, oh, I think I told you this on uh, Sunday, but you, you have a gift of presence and just being around you. I feel lighter. So oh, thank you. So thank you for great. being here. 
Well, thank you. And thanks for asking. I'm so honored and privileged to come be part of a podcast. Thank you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And to spend time with you both. This yeah. is yeah, fantastic. Was, we got to do this more. And often. to have my first Topo Chico. Thank you for, for giving us of your time. And we end by saying. Are. The highest in us. Okay, we'll get it. We'll get, we'll it. get it one time. All right. The, the highest, highest in us honors the, the highest, highest in you. And that's how we end. Thank you, Reverend Sarah Gomez Lorraine. Thank you.